Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast. This is episode number 16, our Navy review. The Irish come away with a 38-34 thrilling victory over the midshipmen. Today on the podcast, I have one of the Rigney brothers. I have Paul with me back on the podcast once again. Paul, how you doing? I'm good, and I swear to all of our listeners, I will not go into extensive special teams talk. I'm the, I'm the other twin. The other twin, okay. It wouldn't... Lots of negativity with uh, special teams over the weekend. We'll save that for uh, Friday with your brother. Um, we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball today. We're going to run through about six questions. I'm going to ask you, um, we'll start with the uh, the more positive side of the ball. Um, Notre Dame ran the ball really well in this game, specifically in the second half. Uh, I think Reese only ended up throwing the ball six times in the second half. Um, the Irish finished the game with, and I'm queuing up the stats now, they finished the game with 264 yards. They didn't have a single negative rushing attempt. Um, Folson leads the team with 18 carries, his second straight game leading the team in carries. Atkinson chips in seven, as did Cam McDaniel. Um, we also saw DeVars Daniel uh, go back into the backfield and try to get a first down, which he didn't get. Um, surprising, we didn't see any of Amir Carlisle. Uh, he dropped a pass, and then I saw he finished the game with a with one of those big heavy coats on on the sideline. Looks like he was effectively benched. My question to you, Paul, is after watching Folston play the past two games, do you think he's now become the number one back, or do you think we should uh, 
maybe wait and see what he does against uh, bigger, more talented defenses. I don't necessarily know if you'd put him in the the spot of being the starting running back, but I would say that he's definitely in the mix. What you saw yet on Saturday, not yesterday, because we're recording this, what you saw on Saturday was a, a decision by Coach Kelly to go with the pure running back, and I think that's where you have that difference between Cam McDaniel, George Atkinson III, and Tarion Folston. Folston is essentially, to me, a combination of George and Cam. He has Cam's toughness, his vision, and he has Atkinson's speed. So I would say still that I think McDaniel's certainly the starter, but Folston definitely has to be part of that platoon. And if there is someone whose carries are going to struggle... I'd wager it would have to be Atkinson at this point. But Folston's definitely in the mix. You don't just take a, a performance like this and throw it to the side, even if it is against a team like Navy. This was a running back that looked good. This was a running back that looked quick, that looked decisive, that looked like he knew where he wanted to go. He showed some agility when he made a couple of those very nice leaps over Navy defenders. And every time you get a running back that's going to rush for something like 140 yards and he's going to average the yards on the ground that he averaged at seven. Point eight, you don't really dismiss that. So you have to reward that somehow. You have to find a way to quantify that. And the way that you do it is you definitely have to start putting him in the rotation. So I, I would wager that you would see a lot more of Fulston uh, down the road if only we see some ability by Fulston to pick up the passing game. Uh, right. If he's able to catch passes out of the backfield, if he's able to pick up blitzes, if he's able to understand the four or five audibles that Tommy Reese is going to make on the line. Because let's be serious, our game plan in the second half was partly a product of the defense, and it was partly a product of the fact that Kelly and Reese were going with what was working. Chuck Martin was going with what was working, that we needed to gain yards on the ground. We were gaining yards at the ground. It was obvious at the half that we were gaining yards on the ground. We just weren't doing it enough. So when you got a guy like Folson that's willing to, to engage contact, that's willing to, to, to take on the role that he took on Saturday, you definitely have to put him in the mix. I wouldn't put him as the starter yet but he's definitely, at this point to me, certainly the number two or the one be back, back up at running back. Yeah, the second half seemed, <clears throat> excuse me, the second half seemed a lot like the Miami game from 2012, just running the ball down their throats a lot. Uh, I would agree with what you said. I thought, you know, this wasn't just a case of Folston running through giant holes, um, although the offensive line did a really good job. You know, this was Folston showing off basically his entire skill set. Um, I don't know if he has quite the uh, the game-breaking speed. I think he's got decent speed or you know good speed, as it were. Um, but like you said, he he showed off some of his beautiful cutting ability. Um, you know, he picked the right holes. That little jump move he did was well timed. Um, he he damn near murdered a safety uh, that tried to come up and stop the run. I thought that was a, a great finish on that run. So, um, would you be okay with? maybe splitting the carries three ways with Folston, Atkinson, and McDaniel. That seems to be a pretty pretty strong three-headed monster. Certainly, I, I think what you see is um, sort of shades of the late 90s when you sort of had a Fisher-Howard, and I think it was driver backfield under Davey. I don't think you're going to see such an even split, though. Uh, I think when it comes down to it, I still think that McDaniel is probably going to get 
the most carries. I think you're going to see Atkinson on the field, if only because he's shown some improvement in the passing game. But for Fulston, to me, I would like to see him in on passing downs. I'd like to see what he would do uh, for blitz pickup, and I would like to see how he would react catching passes out of the backfield because you had mentioned Amir Carlisle. For me, I think that's one of the reasons why he's in the doghouse at this point is that Coach Kelly put him on the field for a, a singular role. It was a screen pass play, and his job was to catch the pass, and he didn't. He he turned wrong shoulder and Reese threw it inside, Reese threw it outside shoulder. I'm sorry, and Amir turned inside. And when you sort of have that lack of communication at the point where this is your time to shine, you sort of saw polar opposites. Whereas Amir sort of botched his play. Every time Folson touched the ball, he was willing to do what was needed to do, what he needed to do. And and right now, I would still like to see McDaniel get more carries, uh, sort of of the three-headed monster. Uh, but you, I'm I'm with you. You sort of have to see a, a three-pronged attack at this point because at at any stage of the game, you're forcing defenses on the other team to 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 try and defend these guys, to try and prepare for these guys. So if you have the talent play them and since we're not really redshirting Folston at this point I don't see any reason why he shouldn't get on the field it's been a pretty tough road here for Carlisle um, just looking at some of the stats here he had 30 carries in the first three games since then he's only had 14 carries in the past six games um, he did have three each in, the, in five of those six games in this past game was his first without any carries um, I'm going to go to the second question here and it's kind of similar to what we've been talking about here. On offense, do you think we're seeing the greatest depth so far of the Brian Kelly era at Notre Dame? You sort of have to think so. Uh, I, 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 I would wager and I would disagree solely on the point that had Golson still been here, it definitely would have been the most, uh, the most depth because then you would have had Tommy Reese as a backup at which point you're talking about one of the top ten all-time quarterbacks at this point, top five all-time quarterbacks in terms of statistical performance, riding backup. At that point, you got to say, of course. But yeah, I, I, I would I would wager at this point in the Brian Kelly era, you certainly have to look just straight down the line that there's all. Going with what Brian Kelly has always talked about, his mantra has been next man in, next man in, and the Navy game really represented that because almost everyone who was in at one point or another was the next man in. I mean, when you have Tyler Stockton going in to play nose tackle, <laughs> you really are at the point where you're next man in. No, no, no insult meant to Tyler Stockton, but he's a third string nose tackle. So when he's when you got a guy like that that's going in and is is able to make plays. You certainly have to to think that this is one of the more um, one of the more deep teams that Brian Kelly has had. Are there holes in positions? Absolutely, and we saw what that what that looks like, uh, especially in in the defensive backfield on Saturday. But still, especially on the offense, the offensive line, the defensive line, e even in some cases the linebacker linebacking core, there is certainly that depth that Brian Kelly has never had before. Yeah, that depth's being tested on defense um, through injuries more than anything on offense. I think there's a lot of uh, bright spots, uh, especially in the receiving core. I think that's been really something I'm going to take away at the end of this year, um, having William Fuller, Coy Robinson, Ben Koyak emerging 
Um, even C.J. Procise, he caught another pass on Saturday, I think for 13 or 16 yards. I can't remember exactly. You know, he's caught five passes this year. Um, you know, I would imagine, you know, teams or opponents would look at that statistic and not really be that thrilled with it or wowed by it. But uh, I think, you know, this Notre Dame offense has really relied on two or three big playmakers on offense, and we're kind of seeing the ball being spread out a little bit more um, throughout the offense. And I think next year with Golson coming back, that's really going to be a bright spot and uh, something for fans to look forward to. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Because when you look at the the depth on offense, and you look at the people that are coming back, and and you sort of go with again that mantra of next man in, next man in. What are we looking at? We're looking at a quarterback next year. We're looking at Golson, which when you're when you take into account his Sports Illustrated interview, when you take into account the video that they showed of him, and sort of the at least on camera the level of maturity that has increased out of him. That's certainly a bright spot. You look at running back, my goodness, this may be the deepest running back core that Notre Dame has had maybe in the past 20 to 25 years. You're talking about five or six guys that could play. That's crazy. Wide receiver, we lose one guy, we're going to lose TJ Jones, but who's the next man in behind him? Catch radius, Corey Robinson. So I'm not really that concerned about that either. And you go tight end, you got Nicholas coming back, assuming he doesn't go pro. I'm not entirely sure that he will, but behind him, Koyak, Welch, Smythe. And especially on the O-line. O-line, you're looking at probably, the, in my, in, 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 it's a blanket statement, and I'm, I'm going to stand behind it. This is probably the deepest offensive line that Notre Dame has had even before Willingham. You're looking at a, just a, a complete platoon of guys that can go in. And the fact that you, you just look at ha how Tommy Reese has forever to throw, I think he's maybe been pressured a handful of times. And and for me, just looking at our, especially focusing on the O-line for a second, you look at the Michigan-Michigan State game on Saturday, and you look at how Devin Gardner was essentially running for his life, and he was hit so many times that Michigan had minus 48 or so rushing yards just because he had no time to throw and no running play worked. But then you look at Notre Dame's performance against the Spartans and Reese had time to throw. Our offense it struggled at times and, and we got bailed out by a couple penalties, but still he had time to throw. Our offensive line was doing a, a pretty stand-up job. And you look at the guys that are coming back, the guys that are behind him, uh, I just kind of want to point out right now Connor Hanratty's performance on Saturday. I yeah. thought he did a very, very admirable job stepping up in place of Christian Lombard. And same thing with Steve Elmer. Elmer played a great game on Saturday. You're talking about guys that weren't really expected to play, but now that they're playing, you feel entirely comfortable with them going down the road, especially as we sort of hit this home stretch as we lead into our bowl game. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Hanrady because uh, I wanted to mention him as well. You know, him playing well, I'd like to see him play against a bigger, tougher opponent uh, besides Air Force and Navy. Um, but I think if he, if you can get him to play well and possibly be a starter next year, you're really looking at a very solid line next year. Um, I'm trying to jot down what the line would be. We'd probably have Elmer at left tackle, um, Hanrady at left guard which is where he played on Saturday. Martin coming back at center, Lombard at right guard, and then you have Stanley at, at uh, right tackle. That's a really good offensive line, I think, especially losing um, 
Watt and Martin, you think maybe this line would take a step back. It, maybe they'll take a small step back next year, but I really like the, uh, especially the bookends there, Elmer and Stanley on the on the ends there. They're really athletic um, and in some ways offer a little bit more than Zach Martin, although um, Martin's technique and leadership is probably second to none. And it, it goes without saying that when you add Golson's running ability, when you add the the speed, the tempo offense that, that you're going to get when Golson comes back, that you're going to get out of some of these freshmen that are going to be uh, playing next year in ProSize, in Robinson, or ProSize is a sophomore, but your first-year players becoming veterans, that these guys are going to certainly make the offense more mature, that in some ways it'll bail out maybe some of the weak spots of the O-line. But this is certainly one of the more uh, sort of coming full circle. This is certainly one of the deepest teams that Kelly's certainly had, and and the, it 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 goes it bodes well going down the road. Exactly. Um, I have another question here for the offense. The Irish offense finished with 25 first downs, 264 yards rushing, 242 yards passing, nine yards per play, which was the highest statistic in 15 years for Notre Dame. Um, they finished with 506 yards. Um, Reese finishes with 12.1 yards per attempt and 20.2 yards per completion. Uh, besides Reese's two interceptions, was there anything not to like about the offense on Saturday? The first half. <laughs> I mean, when you when you realized and you looked at the halftime statistics, and it's kind of hard to gauge what the halftime statistics looked like now, but just off the top of my head, at one point I looked at the halftime stat line for our running game, and I think the lowest yards per carry was Cam McDaniel, and it was something like 8.4 yards per carry. So you looked at that, and you're, you just said to yourself, what are we doing? Why was Rees even throwing as many times as he threw? Now, again, he, I, I believe at the half he was 7 of 14. Yep. So you, at that point, the, the one thing that I would say I didn't really like was the fact that he attempted 14 passes in the second half. You really shouldn't need to do that against Navy. Against Navy, I would have liked to have seen him attempt maybe 10 passes at the half. I would have liked to see some more carries, especially when it was obvious that it worked. And you look sort of at our, our second half performance on Saturday, and it, it paired very well with what the Irish looked like in 2012 last year against Navy in Ireland. It was a very kind of run-focused attack, short passes off the line, a lot of rollout play action to the tight ends. It, it, it was the short game that was working. Every time we tried to take a chance downfield, it really was a coin flip because Navy was ready for that. They were playing kind of this deep cover, too, that they were worried about getting beat on the deep ball by Rees. And the game film certainly led some credence to that, especially when you looked at what he did against Air Force. But of all the things that we did, the one thing I really didn't like was the fact that we passed so much in the first half. And I kind of, it's tongue-in-cheek saying that, because he did only attempt 14 passes. But offensively, I, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more run I don't think the score would have been as close if we had run more, especially considering the condition of the field. Uh, I, 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 that's something that we can cer certainly get to down the road, and that's a conversation that we could dedicate an entire podcast to. That 
when you knew the conditions and you knew what you were going to be dealing with, keeping it safe and going with what was working is what I would have hoped we would have done. And had we focused more on the run, I'm not entirely sure the game would have been close. So that's really my one nitpick that I've got. I think in the first half, the Irish were averaging something like 10.4 yards per carry on the crown. That's pretty crazy to think of. It was absurd. Um, I wonder on that last drive before the first half ended... I think there was two minutes left when Reese threw his second interception. I was wondering how many timeouts the Irish had there, if they thought they could have ran the ball and still scored there. But uh, I thought that second interception was pretty killer. Um, Navy didn't come away with any points, but the Irish were trailing by three there, and they could have gone into halftime with a big four-point lead. I think that would have been a big momentum changer. But alas, it wasn't meant to be. Um, All right, so we're going to switch sides of the ball here. Um, pretty poor effort from Notre Dame on the defensive side. Um, a lot of questioning, the defensive game plan. Um, and my question to you is a bit of a complicated one. Do you think this was scheme, execution, or injuries? Um, what, you think, what do you think was the biggest problem for the defense? And um, maybe if you could assign a, a, a percentage to each of those three categories, what, what, what did you think was the problem on Saturday with the defense out there? I mentioned this in my instant reaction, which I encourage everyone to read at onefootdown.com, that the putting seven men in the box when you're defending the option, you can either defend the option one of three ways. And especially when you look at uh, an option like the counter option, putting seven men in the box and forcing the second level to get to the pitch man is not a, an, a really ideal way to defend the option. I don't think Bob Diaco was ready for, and I, I'm sort of shaking my head saying this, Navy's speed on the edge. I don't think he was expecting that they were going to get to the wide part of the field so quickly, and it looked to me like they were kind of countering a veer almost on defense, that you had guys like Jalen Smith. I saw numerous times where we would sort of split in between uh, Keenan Reynolds and the pitch man, whoever it may have been at that point. And then he would either keep it and run for five yards, or he'd pitch it and the pitch man would run for 12 yards. So in terms of scheme, I, I, for me it's about 65 to 70% of that. Now, when we're talking about injuries, I think injuries certainly didn't help. Uh, when when you're talking about some of the guys that we had in. But I think given the fact that we saw the injuries that we saw from the players that participated on Saturday, it may have actually been a good thing that guys like Ishak Williams and Knicks didn't play. Because when you look at you know how, how we're struggling with the fact that Council may be out for a, a significant period of time, certainly the rest of the season. That Schwenke's going to be out for at least a week, and Sheldon Day reaggravated his knee injury or his uh, his ankle injury. That you've got guys. Uh, thank God that our starters, our regular players, uh, participants in those positions weren't playing because you saw sort of the injuries rear their ugly head and if it had Nick's played, I would assume he would be a little bit sore getting his knees, guys diving at his knees the entire game. 
you would have seen Ishak Williams certainly come up lame, and especially when you're coming up to the stretch that we're coming up with, with teams like Pittsburgh, who, are, who always play us tough, BYU, who certainly is going to play us tough, and Stanford, who will probably be our hardest game. Uh, you don't want to, to have injuries impact your ability to win those football games. So injuries certainly played a part. Now, the last part you had mentioned was, was what again? Execution. Execution. I think execution was certainly part of the scheme. I think it was certainly part of, of what Diaco's game plan was. Uh, so I'd sort of lump those in together. That that when you when you try and defend the option with seven men, it's not going to work unless you get pursuit into the backfield, unless you get certain push. And when you've got guys, the entire Navy offensive line cut blocking every single play, you're not really going to get that upfield pursuit. Now the times we saw it, we certainly blew up their plays, but they were so few and far between that I'm not entirely sure it was worth it. I would have liked to have seen Diaco go with a flat four or even go with a five three and just go straight up cover one man to man on the edges. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. We were sort of respecting the pass and they still beat us on a deep pass anyway. So it it, it for me the the largest component of the defensive performance, if you want to finger it at anything, if you want to point at anything, it has to be the game plan. It has to coincide with the execution of that game plan, which I think was poor to begin with. That it, it just it it wasn't it wasn't the way that we should have defended Navy. It wasn't it certainly didn't work at halftime and it was pretty abundantly clear it wasn't working at halftime. And we came out in the second half and continued to do the same thing. So it was certainly frustrating to watch. And at the end of the day you certainly have to look at the defensive game plan as one of the as the major reason why we struggled. Yeah, that too deep safety look was kind of puzzling. Especially staying at all um, all game long wasn't too different than what they have done in the past against Navy. Um, but I thought playing the defensive lineman off the, a couple yards off the ball, that was really strange. I don't, I don't know why they were just – maybe they were just worried about injuries and stuff like that, but that just seemed to yeah. to really yeah. give yeah. Navy yeah. The, the, the fullback, fullback almost, almost any time they wanted. We were essentially fun. conceding a four-yard gain every time Navy wanted to give it to their fullback because right. you saw our, D, our DNs, you saw some of our D tackles standing up at the line because you knew they were worried about getting their knees – guys diving at their knees. You, you you knew they were worried about their ankles. It may have been a coaching thing. It may have been a, if they dive at your knees and you hop backwards, you'll be in better position to make the tackle. Well, it still didn't work. So I'm not entirely sure. Uh, like you said, also with the two deep safety look, I mean, we're, we're just... I'm watching the game, and I, I rewatched it again today. You just you scratch your head because you say w he's sort of a wasted body back there. And then the one time that they threw the ball uh, for a deep pass, the safety got burned looking for the run anyway. Yeah. So I I would have I would have been perfectly okay and and rip me all you want for this. Had Navy scored if we were having if we had one safety back there. If 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 they're gonna beat us on a deep pass one time a game so be it. But I would rather have that safety or even another linebacker or another athlete down in the down in the box ready to attack the option run. But we didn't do that. We didn't do that at all. And it it, it, it didn't work. Uh, it, it, it obviously didn't work. I mean, it, you can probably men look at the, the stats, but it, just off the top of my head, I'm fairly confident that Navy rushed for more yards against us than they did in their game against Delaware. 
I mean, Delaware, a D1 AA football championship series team we're talking about, that you're talking about, about a, a, a Navy team that struggled against teams uh, much inferior to the Irish. Now, are the midshipmen going to play Notre Dame better? Are they going to play them tougher? Certainly. This is, this is a game built on history. It's a game built on tradition. But you would expect something along the lines of Notre Dame's performance last year than what you saw on Saturday. So it, 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 very, it, it was exceedingly frustrating to look at the game plan, especially how it was executed, how the players were, were working back there. And I, I, I would wager also to guess, had we had a certain uh, caliber of athlete at certain positions in the secondary, in the defensive backfield, it may have looked a little bit different. But what we were doing wasn't working. We really didn't adjust, and, and it was one of the many major reasons why we sur- simply survived it probably speaks to uh, Diaco's lack of faith in his safeties right now. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting that I've seen a, a few people say that you know it might have been better if Davy scored on big, long passing plays or whatever because we would have been able to get the ball back and eat up some of the clock. Um, I wonder if Notre Dame ended up winning this game 57-50-2, um, what the reaction would be. Um, I thought another thing I wanted to talk about was it was interesting how going into this game, a lot of people thought um, that it was a positive thing that we were playing an option team two weeks in a row, and then I think it kind of turned out to backfire on Notre Dame. Um, I think Coach N, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his last name, um, said that he was kind of happy that they got some tape on our defense um, from that Air Force game, and obviously the defense was a little bit battered from that game anyway, so I thought that was kind of weird, and and then I think Coach Kelly mentioned today that they're not going to have Air Force and Navy on the schedule, um, or they're going to try not to have them on the, in the same season anymore, but, uh, you know, we still have Georgia Tech and the ACC coming up, and obviously they're not going to stop playing Navy, so I wonder how that's going to shake out in the future. I'm, I'm sure they're going to try like hell not to have Georgia yeah, Tech, Tech. Um, um, on the schedule as much as possible, but they can't really prevent that. So, What I would like to see is us do a, a lot more of what we did with Navy last season than this season. I would like to see us start the season against them. I would like to have this be sort of a neutral site. Let's right. play you in you know some special location to start the season. It'll be like a, essentially like a bowl game to start the season because then you're able to react to the depth, you're given more time to defend the option, you're given more time to, to utilize your healthy players in the fall to recognize your the athletes that you can use and, and to, to build that depth. But when you've got an Irish squad that we were... were seven and two at this point, so this was... I mean, we're deep into the season. We're already a little bit hindered by injuries on the defensive side of the ball that you're now asking your guys back-to-back weeks to go against a team, two teams, where all they do on offense, especially at the line, is dive at your legs uh, simply because they can't engage you because they're not big enough. And I, I really think that it, it is counterproductive. It, going with what you said about Georgia Tech, take a look at our opponent, Pittsburgh. We're, we're playing next Saturday. They just did the same thing we did. They played Navy last week and lost an option team. They played Georgia Tech last night, an option team, and lost. And and it showed that they were sort of struggling on both sides of the ball, that they had injuries, that they had guys that were sore, that they had guys that were tired. And, and I'm not saying 
at all that is is Navy some sort of elite team. No, but they do take a lot out of you. And and when you have that type of schedule out there where you're playing option teams back-to-back, it really doesn't lend well, at least to the overall health of your football team. It's essentially why Kelly had to rest Knicks. It's why he had to rest Eshock Williams because you're looking at guys that you need for the home stretch. You need against teams like Stanford. You need against teams like BYU. That that putting them up against Navy and asking them to withstand that onslaught on on their their lower legs is is sort of counterproductive to what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. So I'm with you. I would like to see us sort of spread that schedule out. I would hope that the ACC is a little bit lenient uh, with regards to where we would play Georgia Tech. Um, I also wouldn't wouldn't be averse and I'll say this, to playing each service academy uh, alternating three years. So one year you play Navy, one year you play Air Force, one year you play Army. Now I understand that would that would completely upslung the, the Navy scheduling and the tradition that we have here, but this is, you know, the, the this is t- 2013. We're trying to build a national championship football program here and asking your guys uh, to, to risk you know, catastrophic injury to their lower leg, uh, you know, and back-to-back weeks runs counterproductive to what you're trying to do. I wouldn't be uh, against maybe slotting that Navy game into uh, traditionally where that Michigan game is in the second game of the season, possibly opening the season with a, a lower-tier opponent and then maybe Navy in week two. Absolutely. Um, I think that might be a good idea, good idea moving forward. All right. All right. We're going to try to get... Uh, controversial here on the podcast and talk about that turf in Notre Dame Stadium. Um, do you think uh, this past weekend's game was the final nail in the coffin for the natural grass in Rock's house? If it wasn't, it is certainly one of the exhibits that those who advocate for some sort of alternative, uh, alternative turf uh, can certainly use. Uh, I I think when you look at the fact that they had just laid this sod down. I mean, the sod's like, what, two weeks old, two and a half weeks old? And and it looked bad. It looked really bad, especially when you looked at the blimp shots. The field had tiger stripes going through it, big brown stripes where the grass had simply either died, not taken root yet. And, And when you looked at the field before the game, it looked great, which only leads me to the belief that I wrote in the in my instant reaction post that I'm fully convinced that they simply spray-painted the dirt green to make it yeah. look like there was grass on the ground. I'm and pretty sure they, they do, that. do that. Yeah, if, because it, it, it looked horrible, and the game plan suffered as a result. I mean, the, the interception that Reese threw his first pick was simply because T.J. Jones had fallen down. Had T.J. Jones planted, made his cut, he would have been right in between the zone that Navy had played, and he would have had pretty much a 13 or 14-yard gain. And he would have had a first down, and Notre Dame would have been threatening. Mind you, we had already scored, and then we had had that called back on, to me, a rather suspect hold, but simply because Troy Nicholas was three times the size of the guy he was blocking. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, the 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 field was in bad shape. The field, anyone 
if you've ever taken a tour to Notre Dame Stadium, I, I highly recommend it because you can sort of walk through the tunnel now and you can check out the field. Anyone, any alumnus who's ever gone to an inner hall championship game or like me, if you're a former cheerleader and has been on the field, you can see after once you get into late October, November, your final games of the season, that field takes a pounding. It takes a deep, deep pounding. And the condition of it really suffers. And at some point, you sort of have to, to weigh, weigh you know, nature at this point. I mean, this is a school in northern Indiana. We're alongside a lake, so we're sort of straddling sea level here and your water level. And you have a, a history and a record of the fact that the field has struggled, that the field has not looked good for the better part of a decade. And you've tried all these options. Maybe you do go to field turf. I'm not going to be one to overtly say this is what we need to go to, but you need to certainly do something better than what we've been doing. And like you said, I, if this is the final nail in the coffin, it's a really good example of why we, we need to go to some sort of alternative turf system. Yeah, I've always been pretty uh, pro-change on this issue. Um, I don't really have a dog in the fight, whether they go with field turf or they go with that Deso Grassmaster um, hybrid solution. Um, I just think it's, it's just dumb not to have the best um, facility you can have. Um, and even in the game on Saturday, um, you know, everyone points to the TJ Jones slipping and the, causing an interception, but there was a kickoff return where the, the Navy player catches the ball or, and then he goes to run and he completely slips and he drops the ball. and It's just a complete mess. and It's not even wanting to gain an advantage either way. You just want to play on the best surface you can have. And At this point, I just don't understand why people want to cling to the natural grass um, as much as they do, although I will say... You know, part of that argument is just it's just pure nostalgia, um, which I you know again I think is is kind of silly. I've I've read some comments recently where people are basically just saying you know this is football and it, you should be playing in the mud and people should be slipping. But you know I I just don't really view the sport that way. I think a lot of the uh, older generation view the sport that way, and I think that kind of plays into some of the stereotypes that we like to make fun of. Um, but I also think the other the issue that is kind of looming with this this topic is turning Notre Dame Stadium into a multi-use um, facility, and I think that's really going to be an undercurrent that's going to swell up here um, over the next six months or whatever um, if they end up putting a new a new uh, turf down or whatever. I think that's really going to be um, a topic that people are going to be really angry about because. Let's face it. People want to view the stadium as, a, as as holy ground. You know, this is a place where, um, you know, you play six or seven games a weekend or a year on Saturdays. Uh, I think people have learned to tolerate the uh, graduation going in there and um, what is it, the Sunburst Marathon or whatever run that finishes, finishes in there. But, in there, but um, and the inner hall, the inner hall football championships are also played in there as well. Correct. Um, but how are people going to view if, uh, you know, Indiana has state football playoffs in there, for example? I mean, I think people are kind of looking at stuff like that, and they're just going to go bonkers with uh, some of the uses that Notre Dame could put in with, uh, with field turf in there. So uh, I'm interested well, let me to get, see. Yeah, let, me give you a, 
really really quick, let me give you a hypothetical. The NHL right now is sort of going with this Winter Classic thing where we have games outside. In fact, one of the Winter Classic games that they have this year is going to be at Michigan Stadium in Ann Arbor. Would you be uh, adverse, uh, in your opinion, if the NHL were to go to Notre Dame and say, hey, we want to have a Winter Classic game in Notre Dame Stadium, or even on the more hyper-local level, say Notre Dame now in the Hockey East wants to play a team like Boston or play, play in an, a new conference opponent outdoors at a rink in Notre Dame Stadium. On those lines, say something along the collegiate lines, would you be even okay with that? I think that's, you know, those are great opportunities. Um, you know, I, a lot of these arguments are always going to come down to taste, and uh, people are always going to argue about stuff like that. So, you know, college hockey, I think a lot of people can get behind that. Um, things like concerts and things of those nature, I think that's always going to be a tough one to sell. Um, but, uh, you know, just generally the whole multi-use thing is going to be very controversial moving forward. I don't think it's going to be just, uh, you know, we need a better playing surface for the football team. I think there's a lot more um, to it than that. And and you can even see a lot of, you know, sarcasm behind the fact that the football team doesn't even practice in the stadium at all. And, you know, some, some of the harumphers um, think that that's kind of silly, but, you know, I don't see why you wouldn't want to practice in the stadium. I think that's a huge advantage, especially for kickers. So, And going with the kicking component, you saw – and again, I mentioned this, especially in the north end zone, uh, Navy's kicker missed his extra point. Now, Dan Hicks and Mike Mayock had made much ballyhoo about the fact that the Navy kicker had missed an extra point before, had missed a field goal that was struggling. But he pushed his field goal, or he pushed his extra point to the to the right. And I'm sure my brother will dissect this on Friday, but he seemed very confused when he did it. Yeah, and he kicked yeah. it, he looked up, and he was kind of befuddled, and he looked at the ground, looked at where the ball went, looked at the ground again, and just kind of had this look on his face like, huh, which I, at the time I chalked out, well, you know, he's a kicker for Navy, he's probably not the most elite athlete in the world. But then you saw two of Kyle Brinza's extra points after Notre Dame scored in the north end zone, and both times he made them, but the ball went to the right both times. He didn't split the uprights. He pushed both of his kicks, and the right, difference yeah. between him and the Navy kicker is Brinza's has certainly a lot more power, and I simply think that he just powered through, but there had to have been some <laughs> slick spot somewhere around there that I bet these guys were hitting with their plant foot and, and were sliding, and I'm sure... Uh, We'll, we'll dissect this in the special teams post on Friday, that a lot of Brinza's kickoffs were short because of the field. I think he was running up to the ball, hitting his plant foot, kicking, and his plant foot probably moved, he probably slid, he probably lost some center when he was hitting the ball, and the ball would just go straight up. And, and it was kind of a result of the fact that Navy got a couple good returns simply because the ball went straight up. And like you said, as you had mentioned, you had uh, the Navy player drop the ball and slip. So you sort of had a, a, a taste of both ends uh, from the kickoff and the return with regards to the field. I am with you. There certainly needs to be a conversation, uh, at least long term, with regards to Notre Dame Stadium. Is what, do we, what does the university really want to get out of the stadium? Do we want this to be the shrine of college football where we play the the at least on a on a on a local uh, a campus level 
football games, or do we want to branch this out to more campus-wide activities, like you said, with the marathon, uh, with maybe something along the lines of having a college hockey game out there? I know Michigan and Michigan State play college hockey uh, outdoors, either at Spartan Stadium or Michigan Stadium. Uh, they did that last year, I believe. So do, does the university find some interest in that? Would the university find some interest uh, in, in utilizing it for other purposes, I don't know, but it's certainly a conversation that they need to have because when you look at the conditions of the field, you need to start thinking about how can we best prepare our football team to contend for a national championship. At the end of the game, or at the end of the day, that's what you need to be focusing on. That needs to be your MO, that this is our football team playing in our stadium. Are they put? Are we putting themselves in a position where they can be... Uh, national championship contenders. Right now, with the conditions of the field, I don't think you can really make that argument. We're looking at a university that built the Google Amino Athletics Complex, a, a complex for football that is just Im extremely impressive, a brand new state-of-the-art workout facility, a uh, brand new uh, football locker room, uh, brand new medical facilities, uh, athletic training facilities for the football team, film rooms, offices. We built that infrastructure to make our program better. I don't see why we wouldn't start doing that on, on the actual surface we're playing the game on as well. Yeah, you summed it up about as well as I could. Um, I was going to say, you, you go out there and you're recruiting, recruiting elite athletes and uh, you should give them the best surface possible. To, uh, to play on. So we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, it seems like the past three or four years, everyone says field turf's coming. Um, we'll see if that actually happens during the offseason uh, or even before the spring. Uh, it'd be kind of a cool thing, I think, to see uh, the stadium in the spring with some field turf. Um, all right, we're on our last question here. We're going to turn our eyes towards the Pitt Panthers, quite possibly one of the most boring teams in all of college football. Uh, a team that uh, is kind of considered one of our rivals. We've played them a lot over the years. Um, the injuries are mounting up. I'm just going to go through some of the injuries here. Uh, for the season, uh, Daniel Smith is out, wide receiver. Ben Council tore his knee up on Saturday. He's out for the season. Um, I think we might have to worry about him even being available for next season now. Um, Jarek Grace is out for the season. He injured his knee in Arizona State. And then Tony Springman, defensive lineman. Uh, he's been out all year. Chase Hollinsville has been out all year. And Nikki Barati, the safety, has been out all year. Um, also, some freshmen have been out. Um, Greg Bryant's done for the season, it appears. He's been redshirting. Torrey Hunter, Mike Hierman, uh John Montellis, Colin McGovern, and Doug Randolph are all other freshmen who are not available this season. But that's not even the end of it. We got Chris Watt questionable um, for this weekend. Um, I think... Coach Kelly said he had a PCL tear that doesn't require surgery. I would be surprised if he plays this weekend. Um, Austin Collinsworth hurt his neck. He got absolutely blown up uh, on the goal line, um, and his neck was not feeling that good today. So they had an MRI on that. We'll see what happens with him. They do get Shoemate back in uh, the lineup this weekend, so that'll help out. Uh, Schwenke, Nix, Williams, and Day, four defensive linemen. I'll kind of count Williams as a defensive lineman. Um, they are all questionable for this weekend. I don't really think we're going to see any of these guys play. Maybe Knicks. Um, it was reported today by Kelly. He had a slight meniscus tear in his knee, and he's battling some tendonitis. Um, he's getting an MRI to see 
just basically, you know, hopefully it's not as bad as they, you know, any worse than that, and then see um, what he can do the rest of the season. Uh, hopefully, Knicks can play because if he doesn't play, uh, Schwenke's out. Um, he's not going to be back until the BYU game. And um, Kelly mentioned that Jaron Jones and Tyler Stockton will be the nose guards this weekend. So if Knicks doesn't play, that's going to be a pretty scary situation. So having said all that, all these injuries, how worried should we be about this game this weekend this against weekend. Pitt? Pitt? Moderately. Um, like you said, it's it, they're a boring team, and they're, they're a team that, to me, uh, it really hasn't found that much of an identity. Uh, they had some... Uh, Turmoil in the off season, uh, especially when they they had their starting running back try and transfer out. Uh, they had given him clearance to transfer out to UCLA, I believe it was. Um, then he decided that he wanted to come back, and uh, Paul Christ, their coach, uh, gave him an absolute uh, bro hug of forgiveness by kicking him off the team. So they, they <laughs> sort of don't have that starting running back that they want right now. They, they have a, a junior Isaac Bennett, um, and, and then behind him is, is sort of a, a mishmash. Uh, they're a passing team. They have a transfer quarterback, Tom Savage, who you'll remember uh, very briefly, I believe, played for Arizona, but before that he was with Rutgers, so he's sort of a journeyman college quarterback if that exists at all. So he's playing on his third team, uh, somewhat decent on the year. He's got a, a plethora of wide receivers. Devin Street, who uh, every year um, I give the Lazar Hayward, uh, if you remember him in college basketball from Marquette, the Lazar Hayward yep, has yep. he graduated yet award, and Devin Street's one of those guys. Senior, certainly one of their better wide receivers. They got Tyler Boyd, a true freshman, or a redshirt freshman, um, a local kid uh, who was sort of their bright spot in their game last week. But they're a very uh, they're a team that has struggled a lot this year, and they're certainly a team that Notre Dame can take advantage of. Now, just put all the Michigan rushing statistics out of your head for a moment and figure that this statistic, Pittsburgh on Saturday against Georgia Tech rushed for minus five yards on 21 carries. Now, Savage alone had minus 24 yards from sacks and, and, and runs behind the line of scrimmage. So, so you take those minus 24 yards away, they rushed for 19 yards on 14 carries. That's almost Michigan-esque to us uh, when we're looking at the overall struggles that they've had in their ground game. Now, it goes without saying that Georgia Tech is one of the better rushing defenses in the league, uh, or in the country. I mean, I believe they're top 15. Uh, looking at the statistics here, yeah. They're number 11 against the run. They're number 53 against the pass. Uh, whereas then you look at Notre Dame, and on Notre Dame's end, Notre Dame's 65 against the run. So you would think that Pitt's going to perform halfway decent against us. Uh, but again, our passing defense may... may may step up as we're top 25 in the country in that. I, I'm not entirely concerned uh, with regards to the extent of the injuries because as we've been talking about, it really is a next man in. And I thought the next men in who performed on Saturday did an admirable job. I would like to think that Day is going to play on uh, on Saturday, but even without him, uh, you, you're, you're talking about putting in Rochelle. I'm not entirely... Um, 
uh, worried about that. I'm worried about uh, the depth behind Jalen Smith if Jalen Smith somehow goes down. Uh, do you slide you know, Joe Schmidt over? Do you put Joe Schmidt in the middle and put Dan Fox in the wing? I, I don't know what you do there. Uh, but I'm with you that the injuries may pose a problem, but this is certainly a team that we should be able at least offensively uh, to take advantage of. I, I think it's one of those things, are we going to be able to perform on the ground uh, the way we did against Navy? Not necessarily, but we should do a pretty decent job. Pitt on the year is allowing 164 rushing yards a game. So we're not going to get the Navy-style statistics, but we're going to get some yards on the ground, presumably. So I would like to see us... Uh, behave and, and and execute in that fashion. On top of everything else, you're also talking about a, a pit team and just going through their last four or five games. They lost on Saturday to Georgia Tech, a game to me, they didn't really look good at all at any way, shape, or form during, in any facet of the game. They lost 21-10. To me, it shouldn't have even been that close. Uh, they got a couple turnovers that made it close when Georgia Tech was was pressing. They lost to Navy two weeks ago on a last-second field goal. And then you look USC weekend uh, when we were playing, taking on the Trojans, uh, Pitt was playing to basically a quarter-full Heinz Field against Old Dominion. And they won 35-24. And they didn't look good. They did not look good against them the weekend before that. At Virginia Tech, they lose by 10. This is certainly a team that is on the ropes. This is a team whose four wins, they're 4-4 four and four on the year. Their four wins have been against New Mexico, Duke, Virginia, and Old Dominion. So when you compare those four teams to a team like the Irish, I'm really not that worried. The, the only thing that would worry me, again, is if we come out with some sort of... Uh, head-scratching game plan that focuses on some component where we don't take advantage of Pitt's weaknesses. And, and the on, that's the only way that we would be able to, to keep Pitt in the game. If you remember, and I was in fact at the Pitt game last year, uh, we really shot ourselves in the foot with turnovers. A lot of turnovers, a lot of unnecessary turnovers that kept Pitt in the game. And Pitt was able to score early on because of a very head-scratching game plan by Bob Diaco. So I would like to see a, sort of a focus on uh, getting back to fundamentals to, 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 to try and protect some of the, the players that we have in some of the positions that we lack depth. But on the whole, this is not really a game I'm that concerned about. Is it a game the Irish could lose? Certainly. Pitt always plays us tough. But it's a game the Irish should, should still win despite the injuries that we have. I'm hoping Nick can can give it a go this weekend, and that he's he's fine. He he seemed to jump up and down at the end of the game uh, for that last tackle by Jalen Smith. He seemed to be pretty fine there. So I think if he can play, um, the defensive line is probably the the one position or positional unit. Excuse me. Where there's some where problems there's some right now, but if you can get Nix to play, you'll have two at Nix and Shembo down on that line. And I think whether or not Dave plays, that's still pretty good. A set of starters to roll out against the depth is not really fair anymore. But I think Nix playing is going to be a big deal. Interesting to see the spread is here coming up. I haven't seen the line or anything yet. I'd be surprised if it's anything over ten. To me, I think this has. 
you know, 27, 21 type of a game. Uh, I'll have to do some more research on Pitt. I didn't really disagree with anything you said about them. I thought it was interesting to look at some of their rushing. Isaac Bennett only only gained 35 yards against Florida State, 31 against Virginia Tech, and 16 yards against Georgia Tech. So. If we can play good, rushing, strong rush defense, I think this is going to be a game that Notre Dame should win fairly comfortably, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. We'll see. We definitely will see. Again, I'm with you. I agree that when you look at Pitt's rushing statistics, they look a lot like Michigan in comparison. And the only at that point you look at the X factor is Tom Savage, Devin Gardner. I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. All right, that's going to wrap up our 16th episode of the Loki Podcast. I want to thank Paul for coming on. Um, Thanks for having me. Yep, we got coming up this weekend. I want to remind people to go on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast, and we will see you next Sunday.